Let's turn in our Bibles to Jude, verse 3. Jude, verse 3. And I've entitled this message, um, What Are We Fighting For? And in verse 3 it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. <coughs> who, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This morning as we look at this passage, I want us to be encouraged and I want us to be challenged because this is a challenging um, a letter. It started out as an invitation almost. It was, it was just kind of a sweetheart letter where he's talking about these, these people that are called and beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And then he prays that mercy and, and peace and love would be multiplied to you. And then in the first part of this Verse 3, he says, beloved, he starts again, beloved, he, he loves them, you're the beloved, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. And so at the first part of this message today, we can see that it looks like this is going to be something really positive. It starts out positively, and here in the first phase, um, in the body of the letter, we can see that Jude intended to write a very encouraging doctrinal letter. He's described the salvation uh, as, a, as a personal one. He says, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. He's acknowledging that he's writing to these who have been saved by Jesus Christ. And so this letter starts off with this personal kind of thing. I wanted to write, I was very eager to write to you a, a, a letter about our common salvation. We've talked about this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, and, and we're going to see this even more so as we go through, that Jude is going to take every opportunity to distinguish between those who have been saved and those who haven't. And, and we're going to see that today because he's writing to these people, and he's talking about um, a common salvation. It's, it's common, as in there is just the regular, normal salvation, right? Not several salvations or several ways not odd salvation or different kind of salvation for different kinds of people. Christ's salvation is the only salvation there is. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And it's important to recognize the distinction that Jude will continue to make throughout this book. There is a common salvation between people who have been called, who have believed, and who have been kept for Jesus Christ. And it must also be seen, and it will be an emphasis, even in this message today, that there are those for whom this salvation isn't something that they have in common. Jude understands that there are certain people who haven't been saved. As a matter of fact, this is the point that Jude is making when he completes the thought of this verse. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And they're to contend for the common faith. 
This word here is a really encouraging word for Christians. This is, a, this is something that's very challenging. They're to contend for the faith. This letter, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. This letter is written as an appeal, not simply a transfer of knowledge about a bad situation that could arrive. When Jude is writing this, the situation is bad. And this letter is meant to help them to know who the enemy is, what his intentions are, and what their response needs to be. And so as we read this, it's important for you and I to grasp this because the letter was written so that we would be appealed to, that we would respond to it, that that something in it would, would pique our interest and cause us to do this. And what is it that he wants us to do? It says this, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. And then he says this, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He wants us or he wants the the readers of this letter to contend for the faith. This word contend has to do with a military or an athletic kind of context. It means to strive intensely, to struggle or, or to have fierce effort. This isn't something passive. This isn't something that, that is, is ignoring or, or, or looking the other way. When Jude is writing to the Christians, he is saying to them, you must have a passionate desire to make certain that the truth of Christ is upheld. There's a fight that must take place. He is saying that they must actively be on the side of the gospel. As we read this, it was interesting to me that Jude didn't tell them to contend against these people in verse 5. He didn't say, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend against these certain people who have crept in unnoticed. He didn't say it to contend against people. What he said was we have to contend, we have to passionately pursue, we have to intensely strive that the faith of the gospel, the truth of the gospel would be upheld. Even when Michael contends with the devil in just a couple of verses, he doesn't, he doesn't pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he recognizes that it is the Lord who rebukes them. And this is a great and important focus for you and I. We are called to contend for the faith. We are called to contend for the truth about Jesus Christ. Jude here is appealing to them to contend for their common message of salvation. And he describes it here as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. This faith isn't the kind of faith, it's not the verb. He's not saying to strive to believe harder. He's not saying strive and be passionate about believing in a more intense way. He's saying here this faith is a a noun, it's the faith. Right? It's the content of what we believe. And he, Jude is saying we must contend for this basic truth that was delivered once for all to the saints. Jude here hints at it throughout the letter. Over and over again, he writes about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord, our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In this letter, he connects Jesus to the Exodus deliverance. We're going to talk about that next week. Where he says this, now I want to remind you in verse 5, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, Jesus is the one who does this. The content of the faith that that Jude is saying we must contend for is the content of the message of salvation. 
Jude connects this letter and this kind of emphasis to the teachings of the apostles. In verse 17, we're going to see that. That there is a message and we are to fight for that message. Jude isn't writing about a new gospel. He's writing to protect the old one. And this faith is the same one that was delivered once for all to the saints. This faith is what we'd find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that is what we are to be striving for. This is the kind of faith, or this is the faith, this is the message that Jude heard, that Jude believed. This is the faith that was delivered to all of the saints in all of the world. And when Jude writes it here towards the end of the New Testament, he is writing to these these saints. We don't know who that is specifically, and it's included in our Bible because it's so general to those who are called by God. That includes you and I. And he's writing that we would contend for the content of the message, that we would uphold this truth. I love this. There's a, there's a sufficiency in the statement about once for all. There is only one gospel message, and it is enough. And Judas is appealing to them that they would intensely struggle that this message would be made known. As I was reading that, I was thinking, well, well that's, that's something we know. What's the big deal? What has caused Jude to go from writing a doctrinal letter? Wouldn't that have been a great letter? Wouldn't it have been a great letter if Jude would have written this, this message that would have defined the gospel one more time? That would have helped us to see the doctrines. He was so Old Testament oriented. I can only imagine that a letter that Jude would write about the common gospel would have to do with the gospel in Genesis and the gospel in Exodus and the gospel in, in Numbers, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The gospel of the Old Testament. I can only imagine how fantastic that letter would be. But somehow, as Jude sat down to write it, he says, I was going to write that letter... But something happened, something came to my attention that causes me to not write that letter defining the gospel, but to write to appeal to you to fight for the gospel, to fight for the gospel, to be passionate about it. Uh, there was a time when I was a youth minister that uh, uh, was leading a group of kids, and, and uh, most of those kids were great kids, as most kids are. They were just great. Most of the kids in my youth group were fantastic and uh, had a great time with those kids. But there was this one kid who, uh, uh, he, was, he was probably a lot like me when I was his age. But he couldn't keep his mouth shut. And uh, I had been um, talking to them about something or other. And we'd been doing something. And, and I was sharing with them about uh, my wife and how special she was to me. And the message that I got across to them was that I love her. She's mine and I cherish her. And I remember at the end of that saying something about... Uh, uh, a thank you, baby, or whatever. I don't remember exactly what I said. And this, this kid, this punk kid, he mocked and he said something about his baby. He called her his baby or something. And I don't know about any of you guys, but that rubbed me so much the wrong way. Have this little punk kid call my wife baby that I contended very sharply with him. And I was very much for my message of her being my wife and it was a very passionate, it was a very, there was no ambiguity, right? There was no wondering where Steve, nobody could say, well, tell us how you really feel. Because I was just like, that's my wife. You'll never, ever, ever talk to my wife like that again. And uh, uh, this is the kind of thing right now that 
Jude is talking about for you and I. There's no middle of the road. There's no on the fence. There's something coming up in this letter that causes Jude to say, stand up for something. To be passionate about something specific. And there's a reason why. Because, he goes on to say, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately we see that, Paul, or that Jude goes from encouraging them to appeal, uh, to strive for the faith, to understanding that there is a battle going on. There's a real truth going on. And in this truth, it's not enough for us to simply know the gospel. It's not enough for us to simply study the gospel. It isn't enough for us to, take, to, to simply talk about the message of Jesus Christ. We have to fight for the message. We have to fight for the gospel because there are people who are actively fighting against it. There are people who are actively fighting against the message of the Bible. The challenge for you and I is to see that these people crept into the church. This isn't a battle on the outside. This isn't a challenge for you and I today to, to contend for the faith out there. We are called to contend for the faith in here. We're content to stand for the truth in here. We're content we're challenged to strive passionately to make sure that Jesus Christ is exalted in here. We're to watch out for creeping faithlessness. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Jude gives us the reason for why we must contend for the faith. Because there are those who are even among us who pervert the message of God. That's what he's challenging us for. He describes them in this way. He says there's certain people, certain people. This isn't hypothetical. It's not hypothetical for Jude. There are actual people with names. There's relationships that Jude is talking about. He says certain people. And this is really important later on. As we proceed further, we have to remember that the condemnation, the judgment, the eternal fire, the blasphemy is coming upon real specific individuals. This is why Jude says to contend for the faith. Because there are specific people who will stand against that. And these people are creeping people. I love the way that's phrased there. They crept in unnoticed. It's kind of a terrifying thing. Especially when you're thinking about a military situation where you have people creeping in and, and, and spies among us and, and trying to make us think one thing about who they are when really pushing their own agenda. The idea behind the word for crept in unnoticed has to do with hiding their true nature. They're pretenders. They're presenting themselves as people who are spiritual and as if they know what God's will is, but inside they're fighting for their own agenda. And it's amazing the way Jude says that we are to contend for the faith because certain people are not. This is one of the things that makes this letter so helpful for us because it defines and helps us to see what those people look like. 
People like this can be actively part of any congregation. This letter is so general, it fits any congregation. And you and I need to be on the lookout. That's part of what it means to contend, to strive passionately for the gospel. And another access, another uh, application of this is that they're condemned people. The reason that we're, we're to contend for the faith is because there are people that are already condemned. Jude takes his description even further, and he points out that even though these people think they're able to fool others, they aren't able to fool the Lord. Even though they sit in the pews and they use our language and they use our activities, they're not fooling the Lord. As a matter of fact, their condemnation has been in the works for a long time. That's what it says. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Their deception hasn't fooled God. He is not mocked. And the way this letter goes, they will perish. It's so interesting to see that this kind of message has a really long heritage. The author of Proverbs said this. He said, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. These certain creeping people are condemned already. They're already condemned. We must notice that when Jude describes these people, he isn't simply pointing out that they aren't Christians. He is pointing out that they are evil and that they will be condemned and destined for eternal fire. That's the warning. That's the warning. He then gives three reasons why they're condemned. What's, what is the big deal about these specific people? Look what it says. Look in your Bible, verse 5 or verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And then he says this, they're ungodly people. These are people who live as if God doesn't exist. They're not necessarily atheists, meaning they believe in a God. It's just that God is nothing to them. Practically speaking, if they were to wake up one morning and find out that God didn't exist, their life wouldn't change at all. Think about that. I remember the first time I heard somebody tell me that. It caused me to sit back and think, if I found out today that God didn't exist, would my life be any different? For some of us, it's possible that it wouldn't matter at all if we never darkened the doors of the church or even thought about the Bible because our life is already lived as if we don't. That's what he means by ungodly people. We think so little of God that it would make no difference. Maybe add an hour to our week because we wouldn't have to get up and go to church on Sunday, but that's it. Jude is saying that condemnation waits for these people. Condemnation waits for the people who live as if God doesn't exist. But not only are they ungodly, it says, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Into, they take God's grace, they take God's provision, they take what God has given us, they take God's loving kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance, they take the thought of that, 
And they focus on pleasing themselves. These people are always fighting to get their own way. In a big way, this has to do with physical satisfaction. These people are concerned with how they look or how they appear to others or, or what other, others think of them. It also refers to all the, the great gifts that God has given us, even physical gifts. The reality of, of God's created in our bodies and the purpose and the plan of God in our sexuality. These are people that pervert the grace of God into something that satisfies themselves in the way they think and act. This is what it means when Jude says they pervert God's grace. It means they twist God's promises and his commandments to fit their own desires. When you hear them talk, it's all about themselves. And Jude says that condemnation awaits these people. And then at the end of this verse, it's very telling. These are people that deny God. They do not give Jesus Christ his proper place in their lives. They might talk about him in a nice way. I mean, they've been unnoticed. You didn't notice them. They crept in. So it wasn't obviously they're not walking around looking like atheists or, 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 or holding placards and signs and handing out tracts that have uh, anti-Christ thing on them. But these are the ones that by their doctrines, by their actions, by the way they talk, the things they say, they deny his authority. Really, this is just another aspect of their ungodliness. God has revealed his character. God has revealed his authority. God has revealed his truth in the life, the message, the death, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And they couldn't care any less about what he has said and what he has done. You see this often when people make presentations and arguments and so on, but leave the word out of it. There's a very noticeable reality of denying our master and Lord because there's no reference to his truth or his revelation. Their lives are examples of a determined rebellion against God himself. And we must contend for the gospel message against these people. There's a couple of things here about how we can do that, and I want to close with this. With this in mind, how do we contend for the faith? The first thing we need to do is we need to be obvious in our faith. Ron, I think that's a great application for your prayer request. We need to be obvious in our faith, not creeping around unnoticed. We need to be noticed as a Christian. Not because we're a Christian, but because of Christ. We need to be so noticeable that those who are creeping in become obvious in their ungodliness. We need to be proclaiming and contending for the message of the gospel in such a, a bold and passionate way that it becomes obvious who those creeping people are. question that I thought of, and you've heard it before, is there enough evidence to find you guilty of being a Christian? It's not that we need to be obvious like the, the Pharisees were who stood on the street corners and proclaimed their own glory, but we need to be as obvious as the disciples who... When they stood before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin said, these guys are untrained men, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. If we want to contend for the faith, we need to be obvious in our faith. We also need to focus on being godly. You and I need to focus on being godly. We need to make Jesus Christ the center and foundation of our lives. This is where Jude is leading his readers we need to make God's word the source of our speech and of our actions. 
We need to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's here, the content. We need to focus on being godly. We need to live in grace as it's intended. Grace is not a substance that comes from God. Grace isn't something that's dispersed. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have that kind of a source. Grace is the attitude of God where he gives us what we don't deserve. And we need to live in that grace and not use it for our own benefit. And finally, you and I need to acknowledge our master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says he is ours. It's personal. He is unique. He's, he is the one and only. And it says that he is master and Lord. This word has to do with his authority over the entirety of creation. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. All things were created through Jesus Christ and they were created for Jesus Christ. All the authorities, rulers, kings, emperors, judges, and governments are under his command. And we need to live like that's true. How do we contend for the faith? We contend for the person of Jesus Christ. Passionately. We stand up for him. We speak for him. We depend on him. There's only one Savior. And if you're not serving him with passion and submission, then you are against him and quite possibly destined for damnation. There's only two kinds of people. And I want to encourage you today to think about the truth. What are you fighting for? Is it your message? Is it your history? Is it your tradition? Is it your priorities? Is it your plans? Is it your desires? Or is it God's? Let's pray.